So this term has come out in the literature in the last couple of years called obesogen. Literally means a hormone disruptor that causes fat deposition and fat gain. And what they found was, is there are a couple of studies that showed this. There's one done, I think, in Cambodia, where they actually started to notice a, an increase in obesity. And these people are walking around all the time, eating really clean, and they started to gain weight, the whole population. Hmm. Like, why are these people gaining weight? Turns out there was some kind of leakage into their water supply, and they were getting exposed to obesogens. And under the same circumstances, they started to gain weight. They started to increase the risk of diabetes, and they started to notice more diabetes diagnosis. And it's because these obesogens lead to insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and cause weight gain. And they lower the metabolism, and we're all exposed to a certain quantity of these obesogens. Things like phthalates, bisphenol A, wow. chlorinated pesticides, organophosphates, all of these chemicals. Which, which, which that are in shampoo. I was just going to say, like, which we should say, which are in a lot of beauty products. Yeah. Wow. Hey, welcome to that badass podcast. I'm Kaylee, your realistic nutritionist, helping you find the balance between green smoothies and red wine. And I'm Ashley, the creator of Royally Fit, that went from obsessive exercising and calorie counting to living a free, unrestrictive, and badass life. We are here to build a tribe of babe-supporting babes so you can thrive in your fitness, health, and mental wealth. So if you like to keep it real, raw, and controversial, welcome. Let's get started. Boom! Nailed that shit! <laughs> After like 18 tries. All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to That Badass Podcast. I am more than jazz today. I am sitting here with Kaylee and Dr. Arsenault at the Center of Advanced Medicine again. And today we are going to be talking about weight loss. And we're basically going to be debunking some of the myths that are out there about calories in versus calories out, about diets. We're going to be talking about things that you wouldn't hear at your general practitioner's office when it comes to weight loss. So this is going to be a very exciting conversation because we try to uh, share this information all the time about it's not calories in versus calories out. And Dr. Arsenault really supports this concept and teaches this in his clinic. So welcome, Dr. Arsenault, back to our show. Our last show with you was so popular. Like, I can't wait for people to hear this one. Good morning. Thank you for having me once again. Mm -hmm, of course. Of course. So let's dive in first um, and talk about how calories are not just what's go what goes in and what goes out, about how you said it's information. Sure. Um, this is a really uh, exciting and innovative area of research. Uh, we're now recognizing, and there are some actual research papers that have said this has been one of the biggest mistakes in medical history, that wow. we literally have been telling people that the reason you're having uh, weight challenges is because you're not exercising enough. And really, it's such a simple formula. Calories in, calories out equals weight. And we now recognize that it's actually too simple and it's actually incorrect. It's not thorough enough. And there are so many research papers uh, that are coming out on a regular basis on obesity that relate to factors that you wouldn't necessarily be aware of. And I find a lot of patients, they, they work so hard yeah. and they, they, they cut and restrict their calories and they're just 
pushing themselves at the gym and they're not getting the results. And to me, that's so disempowering. And it's, it's difficult for me to see these women come in and they've done everything right. They've done the basics and they're struggling and you can see it on them. And eventually what happens is they feel like a failure. Mm -hmm. They feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's wrong. Yeah. And they don't get the full picture of what's happening. So here's typically what I see. Patients come in, they're like, okay, here's what I did. And it's almost always the same pattern. They tried to exercise really hard. They pushed really hard. Every time they had this one little cheat, they feel guilty. They, they do it for a month, maybe two. They don't get the weight reduction. They go to their doctor. Doctor checks their thyroid. Thyroid numbers are normal. They stop. And it's like, no, thyroid is one hormone of so many hormonal and metabolic factors that have come out that relate to why it's so difficult to lose that belly fat, why you are unable to get down to something that's a little bit more healthy and a little bit better for risk factors. And I'd just like to discuss this morning some of the areas of research that have come out that tell us that you can understand this better. And it's really unique to you. It's not like there's one thing every time. It's so personalized. And so I'm really looking forward to get diving into some of these areas and talking a bit more. And I'm sure you've brought up some of these in your past podcasts. So uh, this is a really interesting area of research. Yeah, I like it hits home when you say you see so many women like this because we do too. And the amount of times that these women have said, women's, I don't know if that's a word, but anyways, <laughs> have said that they've gone to the doctors and that they just basically tell them to lose weight and they must be depressed. And that breaks my heart. And really does. because we see them working hard and we know that they're not being too restrictive. I mean, there are some, and but they're doing their best and we don't want to see them get discouraged and we want them to be proud of themselves. So I think it's really nice to be able to share this side of it because it's going to make them feel validated. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the difficult part is one of the comments at one of the conferences was the doctor writes on a little script pad, lose weight. You're like, could you imagine? Like it, you, you see this kind of thing all the time and in their defense, they don't know either. Um, and it, there's a lot of new research coming. It's really difficult to keep up with this. But the question becomes is how? How do you look at a deeper assessment to be able to determine your unique hormonal and metabolic factors and why you're not losing weight? Mm -hmm. So some of these areas are really difficult to identify. But if you do more thorough testing and you look at some of the hormones and metabolic areas that we're going to discuss today, you quickly gain an understanding that this is really personalized. Their journey is unique to them. And the more we understand about their uniqueness, and in some cases even to the point where we're actually measuring their DNA and actually determining what they were designed for and how keto may not be ideal for them because they have a gene that shows that they don't process fat as well. So what we have to do is we have to get away from this bandwagon approach where it's everyone does keto. Yes. And then everyone does paleo and then everyone. And I told people, I said, listen, I want you to think about this in a more global context. From now on, we are going to practice medicine, though, sorry, shop the way we practice medicine. So from here on in, everybody, everybody who goes into the Oshawa Center must come out with a size seven shoe. Mm -hmm. 
And there's no way we would actually shop like this, but we practice medicine. We practice health like this. Everyone does keto. Everyone does this. Everyone does that. Mm -hmm. And it just, it works really well for some people. And the difficult part is it's not sustainable either. Uh, So what happens is in the short term, and a lot of studies have shown what actually happens on a neuroendocrine viewpoint when you actually diet, restrict, cut calories, and potentially overexercise. We actually know that the process of dieting is actually harmful. We know, first of all, that a lot of people are trying to. We know that over 50% of North America is trying to diet at any one point. And we know that obesity has now just about to pass malnutrition and infectious disease as the number one problem globally. So we've got a big problem here. And we know that just under 70% of people, a year later after they've tried a diet, they've gained it all back and they've gained back more. The longer you follow them, the more weight they've gained back. Mm -hmm. Which means what changed when they tried to diet? So one of the first things that changes, and this is a, a hormone that's near and dear to my heart, is cortisol. And so what I've recognized is that if your cortisol is abnormal, we all know that we produce what's called a circadian rhythm or diurnal rhythm, where we produce a certain amount of cortisol in the morning and a certain amount of cortisol later in the day. If you lose that rhythm, if you're stressed, if you're overwhelmed, if there's other internal reasons why the cortisol gets lost, you will have a very, very difficult time with body composition. Mm -hmm. And if cortisol goes too high, you're going to strip muscle. And if it goes too low, energy expenditure goes down rapidly. We also know that it's not just cortisol release in the bloodstream. There are actually cortisol changes within fat. And we know that if you diet, the psychological stress of dieting, the restriction and monitoring of foods during dieting, actually changes the neuroendocrine status of a fat cell. It's called, wow. an adipos- it's called an adipocyte. And what happens is there's an enzyme called 11-beta-hydroxysteroid, and it gets derailed. And what happens is cortisol levels within the fat cell start to change, and that fat cell starts to become insulin-resistant. When it becomes insulin-resistant, it starts to signal. They're called adipocytokines. It starts to signal other organs of the body to deposit fat. And so you get these people that have a lot of that central belly fat, and that's a result often of first cortisol, then insulin, then a release of a whole bunch of signals from fat cells that basically says we need to store fat. And this fat within the organs is called VAT, visceral adipose tissue, and it's three times more hormonally active and three times more of a risk factor for diabetes, cholesterol, and heart disease. Wow. I'm so glad that you touched on the stress right away because the amount of times that we'll say to someone, like, here's the factors you have to consider. And when you say stress, people, it just kind of goes over their head. They're like, yeah, yeah, I know stress is not good. But nobody really lets that sink in and doesn't understand what an impact it actually has. And they don't realize how stressed they actually are. 
No. So true. Yeah, because a lot of people, and I, I'm hesitant to use this word, but it's the one that's coming to the top of mind right now, but it's it's like a desperation. Yeah. They're feeling so desperate to lose weight, and they're so frustrated that they, all their work is not working, is you know, they're willing to go on any diet. And to them, they think that that is going to be helpful to them. So they think they're doing something good. But in fact, it's actually causing, like you mentioned as well, psychological stress. And I want to even throw in their social stress, mm. right? Absolutely. Like, like whether it's within your family or it's within your peer group or at work or whatever, like it's, it, it manifests itself in like so many different factors of your life. So I just think it's stressful in every way. And, and yeah, like you said, it's not always viewed like that because they think that they're trying to do something good for themselves. And they are, it's coming with a good intent of like wanting to, to see change and wanting to be healthy. But in fact, it's actually doing it's trauma to their body, which I know you're going to get into. And the more that they do this cycle, like what we call yo-yo dieting yep. is like the on and the off and the on and the off, the worse it becomes. And the more desperate they become and yeah. the more extreme they become. And then the more they feel like failures and the more yeah. that they feel frustrated and discouraged and like, it's just, and they this, binge. Yeah, yeah. And it's this vicious cycle. So yeah, I think that, um, when you get into more of this, it's going to be really enlightening for people because they're going to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I need to change gears here. And it really comes down to understanding the full metabolic ramifications of chronic stress. One of the things that I find difficult and I've heard doctors use this term, and I kind of cringe when I hear it, adrenal fatigue. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of that term. Um, glands don't just get tired because they're having a bad day. Stress response is a body-wide phenomenon. It activates what's called the HPA axis. H stands for hypothalamus. The hypothalamus has massive regulatory control over the fate of fat and how the body handles calories, energy expenditure, hunger cues, all of this is dependent on the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus, they call it the seat of God because it regulates so many metabolic processes and hormonal outputs. Um, it's really important that this is a body-wide phenomena. This isn't just cortisol. Cortisol is important. It, a lot of it has to do with that fight-or-flight response, too, that a lot of people are in. And so many of my patients have done everything right and they're just stuck in that fight or flight stage, what we call uh, sympathetic dominance or hyperadrenergic tone, where they can't shut down. And that has massive consequences on hormonal signaling, again, related to cortisol, related to insulin, and related to other hormones such as leptin. So it's really important not to minimize that. I think you guys have been bang on track with respect to helping them understand that stress is more important than you think. You can't just discount it. And most women don't realize how stressed they are because they're used to it. Mm -hmm. So they've lowered the bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And a lot of us are walking around and we've lowered the bar so much that we think this is now normal. This mm -hmm. is our new normal. And we are not designed to live like this. We're designed to thrive. We're designed to live healthily and we can't sustain weight loss under these circumstances. And trust me, I've tried it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. We have to start retuning and recalibrating that stress response. Most patients will say the first objection they will give you, because trust me, I've heard it all, is they will say, I can't get out of my life. I can't get out of this stress. We're not asking them to get out of this stress. That's not realistic and it's not healthy either. You need some stress. But what we need to do is teach them ways to retune, recalibrate, and rebuild the stress response. And you can be in these stressors, but the consequences of stress don't have to be true. You can get, 
yourself so that your stress response is balanced and maintained and you're responding and you're protecting yourself from it and some of the metabolic consequences of stress, particularly weight loss and sarcopenia. We know this is a big problem with, with stress where patients will actually strip muscle mass and deposit it as fat. So we really want That's what sarcopenia means? Sarcopenia is literally muscle loss and, and then conversion into fat. Wow. And most women, if you look at most of the calorie in calorie out studies, they actually lose weight. They actually do. So it, it almost doesn't matter which diet you look at. They do lose weight temporarily. But when they did body composition testing, over half of it is muscle. Mm-hmm. And so it's not sustainable long term. And what we're interested in with our clinic the Center for Advanced Medicine, we want more long-term strategies. We want to understand this more thoroughly. Let's get the weight down, but let's make it more sustainable by understanding things like cortisol, insulin, leptin, inflammation, microbiome. All of these variables play a role. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So let's get into some of those so people can understand a little bit more. Sure. So one of the other um, under-recognized areas related to... Uh, weight gain or refractive weight loss is just simply inflammation. So we know that if you have inflammation locally, like you, you know, bang your knee, it's a local phenomena, but in some cases it doesn't shut off. And we know inflammation can become systemic. When inflammation starts to become systemic, you produce a cytokine, cytokine called TNF-alpha. Has anyone ever heard of this cytokine before? I had to learn about it for an exam once, but I don't remember much about it after that. (laughs) Okay. So it's basically one of your signaling molecules related to chronic inflammation. So it's that whole inflammation not shutting down. And we know inflammation can start from a variety of processes. SIBO can start inflammation, what we call leaky gut or hyperpermeability. We know that nutrient imbalances can engage in inflammatory process as well. Once you create a systemic inflammation, and we can measure this through CRP, through ESR, through um, fibrinogen, these are biomarkers. Would those be blood tests? Those are blood tests. Okay. Those are blood tests that are easy to measure, and it will tell us if your body is inflamed. Once you're inflamed and you produce some of these cytokines, it completely derails your mitochondria and it lowers energy expenditure. We don't know, if you look at the research, we don't know all the mechanisms on how it happens, but we do know that under states of high inflammation, we will not lose weight and we will eventually lead to insulin resistance, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and obesity. So inflammation is one of those quote-unquote root causes irrespective of where it started, if you have inflammation, sometimes we don't even know where it came from, but we get it down. And how do we get it down? Anti-inflammatory diets, right? Healing the gut, improving detoxification capacity, natural anti-inflammatories. And we found some folks that have done everything right. And we get their inflammation down and they come back a month later and they've lost like 20 pounds Mm -hmm. and they didn't change their caloric output Mm -hmm. or input. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's empowering because they're like, this is my cause. Mm-hmm. This is where it started for me. And something like just a simple, quick 
measurement of inflammation can really give us insights on why this individual has been unable to lose weight. I had a patient very recently. She just basically tried everything, did everything right. We did this test, got her inflammation down, and I was shocked to see the changes in her body composition. As you know, we do a test called the BIA, which measures your fluid, measures your metabolic rate, measures your fat mass, your phase angle, which is your cell health, um, and it measures a whole bunch of parameters, so we're not just looking at the scale. And we're understanding, is the body actually getting healthier through this program? Are we normalizing some of these markers so it's more sustainable long-term? So inflammation is a simple tool that we have that we can look at. And how do women know if they're inflamed? Sometimes they're going to not feel anything. That's why they call it the silent variable. Sometimes they're going to feel swollen. They're going to feel puffy. They're going to feel joint pain. We now know that the inflammatory process, when you release these cytokines like TNF-alpha and interleukin-6, it can actually make them depressed. They can make them anxious. And so there are a wide variety of clues that tell us that a patient's inflamed, and one of those is refractive weight loss. They cannot lose weight. Yeah. Can I interject for a second? So uh, we're doing a Banish the Bloat Challenge, and it's actually opening today. And in the past, it's basically an anti-inflammatory diet. I don't like to use the word diet, but that's what it is. We're, providing, we're, we're providing them with anti-inflammatory foods. One of the biggest uh, changes we see beyond even like the weight loss, which is inflammation, because you don't lose fat that easily or that quickly, I should say, um, is even the reduction of like, yes, stress, but brain fog. That's a massive one mm. too, is that like they can't believe how much just better they feel like spiritually, I almost want to say, and they feel more present and they feel, yeah, just more clear-minded. And like, it's not like the the testimonials we get isn't just like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm finally starting to see a change in my body. Once again, we're not restricting their calories. In fact, we're actually encouraging them if they're craving chocolate at night, make this healthy kind of chocolate. Sure. Right? And then so it's not restrictive at all, but like they're feeling... They're feeling so satisfied with like their mental well-being. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, they like, get euphoric by the end. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's remarkable. So when you say that these things can actually cause depression and anxiety, you nailed it because it's like the mental transformation we see in them is so much more rewarding even than the weight loss. And obviously that makes us happy for them to finally see a change if they've been working really hard, but it's the mental stuff that just blows our mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that higher state of health, right? You get the initial you know, I've lost some weight, so I'm, I feel more empowered and more confident. Uh, but then you recognize, you're like, I'm actually healthier. I feel happier. Right. And it's not just about the weight loss, because some of them don't need to lose weight, and some of them might not lose weight, but they just feel happier. And they feel more, like, present and more sharp in their head. And, yeah, like, it's just remarkable, like, the mental, the mental shift that they have. Well, like you'd said, is a lot of people don't realize they have inflammation. And I love that you touched on that, because people think inflammation is obvious. Like, well, I don't have chronic pain. I don't have this. They don't realize all the symptoms that inflammation can actually cause. But if you're eating foods that are high, like inflammatory, you're going to have inflammation in the body, whether you're aware of it or not. And it's going to be damaging. Or, or they chalk it down to, well, these are my genetics or I'm just getting older or like, this is the way it is. And like, really like you're saying their expectation has that they've lowered the bar. Yeah. Right. And like, that's, that's good in a way because they need to provide themselves with some, some, um, gratitude, some, yeah, compassion is better than gratitude, like compassion and love. But at the same time, like you don't want that bar to get so low that like they're not working or like educating themselves on ways to change that. And really understand that 
before we, and I've had this conversation quite a few times, as I can tell you have as well, before we chalk it up to age and genetics, which we can do nothing about, why don't we look for things that we can do something about? Yeah. So I find that it's more empowering to recognize that we can change this. This isn't just, oh, I turned 40 and I'm going to be feeling unwell till the end. We now know that if we take good care of ourselves, we can have what we call the rectangular life curve, right? People have a high state of health and then right at the end, they go down quickly. So it's, we don't, we're not designed to feel unwell after the age of 35. <laughs> and it's really important for people to recognize that because they're being told that as comical as it sounds, yeah. Yeah. they're being told that. Yeah. And it's, it's wrong mm-hmm. because it's not consistent with research. And we know we're not designed to fall apart after the age of 35. We can live healthy, robust lives well into our 80s. And if you look at things like just checking for inflammation and then making some changes related to that inflammation, there are so many health benefits and risk factors that change when we lower that burden because we know that so many problems come from chronic inflammation. Alzheimer's, like we talked about mood, anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, cholesterol, all of these systems can relate to chronic inflammation. And how does chronic inflammation affect you? One of the other hormones that I'd like to briefly touch on, I think that is under-recognized that we started measuring as well, is leptin. Have you guys talked about or heard about leptin in the past in your podcast? I don't know if yes. we've talked about it much in the podcast. Maybe Marissa might have brought it up. But yeah. I don't think we've dived deep too deep yeah. into it. It's your hormone that makes you hungry, right? So leptin actually, when it's signaling properly, it actually tells the brain, the hypothalamus, that we've got plenty of fat. So it actually stops you. It's the opposite of ghrelin. It stops you oh, from it's, eating. Oh, that's ghrelin. Okay. Ghrelin. Yeah. And then what happens is, is it tells the system, okay, we need to start using some of this fat. The challenge becomes is this is a feedback loop, a negative feedback loop. Leptin is produced by fat cells and it sends a message to the brain. Okay, when the brain receives the message, it tells the body, stop eating, start burning. The challenge becomes is when that message gets derailed. And this is why we say food is not calories, it's information. Because the right food for the right individual gives that signal, helps the body keep those signals in check so that the leptin signal is properly being received by the brain. What eventually happens if this goes derailed, if they eat refined food, if we eat a standard American diet, the brain becomes leptin resistant, just like we can become insulin resistant, which means the receptors aren't taking the message in anymore. When you become leptin resistant, the hunger cues get lost, the body doesn't know how to handle fat, and it gets into just a storage mode. And inflammation is one of the many causes of leptin resistance, where literally when you eat the food, you eat the calories, you eat the fat, the fat signals back to the brain get lost, and it doesn't know how to manage those, so it deposits the fat. Mm -hmm. And there are ways of, first of all, you can measure leptin and there are ways of resetting leptin. Um, 
and getting that signal between fat and brain reconnected so the body knows how to manage and how to handle and what the fate of fat should be based on that physiological state. Awesome. So would you say almost a symptom of that is always feeling hungry, never feeling satisfied? That's definitely one of them. Definitely one of them. Leptin is, um, it's a little bit newer in the research and I would say it's not fully, we don't fully understand it, but I would definitely say that would be one of the cues that leptin is off. And, um, or if you, like I said, if you have insulin resistance, if you have inflammation, we definitely want to check leptin as well because we actually design a program to reset the leptin, reset the cortisol, and reset the insulin and look at inflammation. So if we wanted to capture a basic starting point for most gals or most people that are looking to get to an ideal body composition, these would be some of the markers that they should look for. So I would definitely say we would want to look at cortisol. We'd want to look at CRP or ESR or fibrinogen. These are all markers of chronic systemic inflammation. We would want to look at fasting glucose, but fasting glucose isn't enough. Everyone says, oh, my sugar's fine and stops. We know that about one-third of patients who have normal sugar have high insulin. And what is the signal for insulin? Insulin is the signal to store. At the end of the day, most of these roads end in insulin resistance, high insulin, store fat. And so we look at insulin, we look at um, leptin, and then the other thing that we would want to look at would be um, liver function. So we're going to look at ALT, AST, ALFOS, and GGT. So I'm going to briefly switch gears, if that's okay, to yeah, one other area that I wanted to discuss. Have you guys come across the term obesogen? No. No, I haven't, actually. Not that I remember. Nope. Okay. So this is another area. Well, let me, let me phrase it this way. Have you guys done a detoxification with your group? We dabbled in it. We haven't, we've done a sugar detox and stuff, but we haven't gotten too deep in with the detoxification of the liver with them. Like we haven't talked about the specific phases or anything. Okay. When we have patients that come in and typically in the spring, we'll do a a personalized metabolic detoxification. What happens when we do detoxification? They lose weight. And we're not trying to lose weight. And you hear about this. I'm sure you hear about women say, oh, I did a detox. I lost tons of weight. Felt really good. Eyes get brighter. Skins get brighter. They have more energy. Sex drive goes up. They sleep deeper. What's the connection? So this term has come out in the literature in the last couple of years called obesogen. Literally means a hormone disruptor that causes fat deposition and fat gain. And what they found was, is there are a couple of studies that showed this. There's one done, I think, in Cambodia where they actually started to notice an increase in obesity. And these people are walking around all the time, eating really clean, and they started to gain weight, the whole population. Hmm. Like, why are these people gaining weight? Turns out there was some kind of leakage into their water supply, and they were getting exposed to obesogens. And under the same circumstances, they started to gain weight. They started to increase the risk of diabetes, and they started to notice more diabetes diagnosis. And it's because these obesogens lead to insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and cause weight gain. And they lower the metabolism, 
and we're all exposed to a certain quantity of these obesogens. Things like phthalates, bisphenol A, wow. chlorinated pesticides, organophosphates, all of these chemicals. Which, which, which that are in shampoo. I was just going to say, like, which we should say, which are in a lot of beauty products. Yeah. Wow. And we now know that these obesogens, even under no change in calories or no change in exercise, people will start to gain weight. They actually disrupt the hormonal signaling so much that the liver becomes insulin resistant and the um, metabolism drops and they start to gain weight without any other changes. And that's why when people do very specific tailored metabolic detoxification, they actually lose weight because some of these obesogens are coming out. Okay, I have a quick question um, to hear your opinion on this. We have been told by doctors that were in our group that you can't do a detoxification because your body is always naturally detoxifying. And our argument is that, of course, your body is always naturally detoxifying. We are supporting that detoxification because if you're constantly eating all these inflammatory foods or subjecting yourself to these kind of like chemicals in your day to day, you're not supporting your detox, your detoxification in your body. So what is your opinion on that? Cause I'm hoping it's similar to mine. It's absolutely <laughs> similar. We're always okay. on the same page. That is simply not consistent with no. the research. It we know me. 100%, not only support, but upregulate. This term detoxification, if you go to any of the courses on detoxification, we know there are plant extracts, there are nutrients, there are various ways to improve. And actually, you can measure this. We can actually upregulate or increase the ability to clear these substances. Yes. So I actually wanted to know if you could expand on this a little bit and maybe just quickly explain like how the liver has actually two phases of detoxification. Well, actually, I've heard that there's potentially four phases of detoxification for the liver now, but how like phase one can be slowed down by the foods that you're consuming that are inflammatory and then basically like backs up. Sure. So the process of detoxification is basically two phases that we know to date, and there is potentially a phase three, which actually happens in the kidneys. Okay, three. Uh, what they call the anti-porter system. So the first phase is what they call the P450 enzymes. So these are enzymes that you produce naturally based on your genes. And we know that detoxification is actually very personalized. You always hear, and I'm just going to step back because this is a really interesting topic, is you always hear about people that smoked and they lived to 105. And then you hear about people that walked by a smoker and they get lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How come? It's all about biochemical individuality within the detoxification process. We know that there can be up to a 30-fold differentiation on how well people detoxify. We can measure this. And so phase one essentially is genetically set but can be upregulated or downregulated with food and specific micronutrients. We know that phase two, what they call the conjugation um, pathway is m- very powerfully influenced by food, by natural products, and let's say other factors. In most cases, and I am actually one of those people, full disclosure, 
that I am actually an imbalanced detoxifier genetically. I've done my genetics since the reason my mom got sick. It's because actually my phase one and phase two are out of sync. And if you think of it like an assembly line, I use people like GM. So if you're going to build a car, a Camaro, you want every step to work in the right sequence at the right pace. If you have a fast phase one and a slow phase two because you're nutritionally depleted. Which most have. Well, you're absolutely correct. And you're, you're what we call a biotransformation imbalance or an imbalance detoxifier then you are going to have some problems with how you detoxify. And we know that the substances that go through phase one and don't quite hit phase two because it's too slow, it's bogged down, just like if you were going to build a car, you got to put the steering wheel in before you put the tires in. And if the guy putting the steering wheel in is too slow or too fast, it's going to upset the second step. So these people, most people are fast phase one, slow phase two, If they have a substance, let's say they're walking down the street and they breathe in car exhaust, polyaromatic hydrocarbons, they breathe that in, it goes into the system, signals the system to detoxify it. Phase one kicks in, it it basically hydroxylates it. So phase one kicks in, and now it's in that intermediate step where phase two is a little slow and it hasn't quite got to it yet. It circulates the body a few times before phase two gets a hold of it. Interestingly enough, that intermediate substance is 10 times more toxic than the original compound until phase two gets a hold of it. Wow. Once phase two gets a hold of it, it becomes polarized, water-soluble, and excreted through the kidney. And this is where phase three kicks in, and that depends on pH balance. But we now know that um, a lot of these obesogens have to be processed through your detoxification. And it's not just your liver. We detoxify in all our cells. We have a higher concentration of these detoxification enzymes in your liver, in your small intestine, and in your brain, but we detoxify in all of our cells. And the interesting part is our fat cells detoxify as well. So we have to make sure, and part of the reason or the way I've been able to stabilize people is we actually upregulate phase two very powerfully. And there are specific compounds that we use that we have been shown to powerfully upregulate phase two. That's awesome. <clears throat> Which is a really good example, like you're saying earlier, is that it's not calories in versus calories out because if these things are not working, like you could, you could stay, let's pick the 200 calories per day, I don't know, for whatever reason, people pick that number, especially women. And if you're having... You mean 1,200? Sorry, how much did I you say? You said 200. Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> 1,200. Um, if you're doing that and you're not eating healthy foods, and like, so say you're sticking within those caloric needs, and if for a lot of women, that's actually a deficient. Like you're, you're not yeah. getting enough calories. Um, but if you're, if you're not detoxifying right and you're having those anti-inflammatory foods, it does not matter. So initially, yes, you will lose weight, but you are going to hit that plateau hard and you're actually going to feel worse because your body is not going to be detoxifying properly. So it doesn't matter how hard you try or how many more calories you peel off that. It is just going to keep on it. You're just going to keep gaining weight and you're going to keep feeling like crap. And that's called a set point. And that's mm-hmm. where women get stuck. And the research is very clear on that. There's a number of reasons why that happens. So what happens is they actually get malnourished. And so those phase two enzymes can't function and they can't detoxify and they literally get stuck. You're absolutely correct. And they just push harder to reduce their calories and then that's where the frustration comes in. Yeah. And if you're not detoxifying properly, you you actually feel like crap. 
right? Like think about if you're constipated, that's part of your detoxification. You actually feel sick. Well, I can like, safely say I used to do 1,200 calories oh, of too. processed food, and I felt like crap. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't understand. Like, where's my energy? And I gained weight. Yeah. I gained weight. Like, I was doing the 1,200 calories per day BS. I was trying to do low carb. I was over-exercising five to six times a week, yeah. sometimes seven, and I gained 20 to 25 pounds. Like, it's like, I don't know why people are so hell-bent on this calories in versus calories out or the keto or following my fitness pal. So they stay within a certain amount of calories and, or even, you know, I don't want to start like trashing all these different brands, but like there's things out there that are promoting, just stay within your caloric needs and you'll be fine. And like, they're doing a disservice to people. And like you said at the very beginning, Dr. Arsenault, is that like one of the biggest misconceptions of all time is the calories in versus calories out. And it's actually detrimental to society and to our health. Well, and that's when women then feel I'm a failure. Oh, I have no willpower. And that's the biggest one is they think they don't have willpower. They don't understand that their, their body's just not performing optimally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important. You, yeah. Like you're, you're doing things like Royally Fit does and we're exercising and we're, we're having the anti-inflammatory diet. However, we still have women in our community that haven't lost weight and we feel pain for them. Like we just, and so we've sent them to you and you've started to do these things and it's remarkable the changes that they start to see, not only in their health and their weight, but just mentally, the fact that they've been finally taken seriously that like they don't feel right and like they can't like when their doctor just says lose weight and they're like uh that's actually what I'm trying to do right um like uh, no. they feel embarrassed too yeah. and then they don't want to talk to anybody and it's just this vicious cycle of feeling bad about themselves the lack of willpower nobody will listen and then it just gets worse mm-hmm. and then they're not enjoying life yeah and I think to your point too I think you have to understand that the basics that you're providing and just to really clarify this point I got to say is really empowering for a lot of people and we still have to do those basics. They still need exercise programs that are very tailored. They still need food programs and that's going to help a lot of people, especially when they feel empowered by being part of a larger group. They're more likely to comply. Studies show that pretty consistently. So I think where this comes in is once we've, we're doing the basics and maybe we hit a set point, that's when it's, you may want to say, okay, what's really unique and personalized about me? Yeah. And is it maybe that the food is the wrong information? It's not just calories. It's if the, the information is incorrect, you're going to lose control because food controls things like leptin, inflammation, cortisol. We can influence these molecular pathways through food. Right? But once we test, we can really precisely get down to those areas and understand them. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, before we kind of do a recap, is there any other points that you wanted to touch on when it comes to, to women and weight loss and like a common theme that you see coming through here and like why they can't lose weight? I think that like you touched on a little bit earlier, I think the, the difficult part is they look at doing the food plan of the month. Right now, there's a big focus on ketogenic, right? And then there's a focus <laughs> on... Pardon? <laughs> 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 Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. It's <laughs> my feeling so about there, keto. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of... Um, actually, there's, there's evidence that um, there's benefit and there's drawback. Mm-hmm. So it's not that keto's bad all the time. It's just not it's good just for not everybody. It's just not appropriate for everybody. Yeah. So... 
we just have to be cautious of just getting into these, well, everyone else is doing it. I'm going to do it as well. And that gets to my final point is that we can take it even a step further and actually now with the advent of genetic testing and lifestyle genomics, we can actually look at saying, okay, let's understand this a little bit deeper. And I've got a few colleagues that actually um, are geneticists that actually study this and can actually design a food plan, an exercise plan, a detoxification plan based on your owner's manual, which is really powerful. It takes personalized medicine to another level. And that's something that I'm really passionate about and I'm really um, starting to become more user-friendly, more cost-effective to be able to quickly check in on your DNA, your owner's manual, and determine what your unique needs are and how to get your body to thrive. And so that's something that hopefully in the future you guys can talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. and yes, uh, get, in, get into some detail. So, for example, there are genes that measure how well your body can handle certain types of fats. And if you have a gene that basically says we don't, it doesn't process fat as well, keto is not a good match for you. Mm-hmm. right? So you can really tailor down to what their ancestors were doing and figure out what they were designed for. Mm-hmm. So that really honestly explains why some people can eat the exact same and one person will lose weight and one will gain weight. Right. Going back to trying to squeeze everyone in a size seven shoe. Yeah. She wouldn't work wouldn't for me. Wouldn't be a squeeze for me. It'd be like a swim around with my <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> um, would you be able to give just like a couple tips and basics for people to get started? So ways to, you know, maybe help reduce stress, help improve liver function, some anti-inflammatory um, foods or recommendations for people just so that they're done listening and they're like, okay, what can I do right now to start making this process? Sure. So uh, which one do you want to discuss first? So we can talk um, detoxification. Yeah, let's do it. So interestingly enough, the more color you have on your plate, the more you're going to signal your liver. We know that literally the food can literally upregulate, especially phase two. The main ingredient that we use a lot is broccoli sprout seeds. You familiar with that? So there's several hundred studies on how they upregulate phase two detoxification very, very powerfully. So that would be one ingredient that we use. Um, What are they called? Glycosylates? So like the actual broccoli, like sprouting your own broccoli? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's highest in SGS, sulforaphanes. And so that, um, most of the literature would actually say that that's the most powerful way of upregulating phase two detoxification. So for anybody listening, that's like, where do I get those? You can actually go purchase seeds a lot of different places, sprout them yourself in the kitchen. I would suggest organic seeds yeah, as and well. Look on YouTube. Yeah. And you can order them from Amazon everywhere. Like they're really easy to find now. Health food stores carry them. They have the whole kit. I have them at my house. It's, it's actually a fairly simple process to do yourself. Way cheaper than the health food store. If you buy them already sprouted. Yeah. So that would be one, uh, simple, way of improving your detoxification. Um, With respect to inflammation, uh, I think you gals would be aware of some of the more common uh, ways to reduce inflammation. Um, Essential fatty acids can be helpful. Obviously, lots of studies on omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA. Optimizing your vitamin D, um, adding an anti-inflammatory spice like turmeric, Mm -hmm. ginger, Mm -hmm. Right, some of the more powerful ones we use things like boswellia. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that as well. Yeah, it's There's a supplement, a, right? That's yeah. right. It's a it's actually a herbal extract, 
And uh, one of the newer ones that just came out um, is actually um, called SPMs. These are extracts within the fish oil um, that have recently been studied that can powerfully lower inflammation as well. Um, So there's a, a wide variety of ways to reduce inflammation, improve detoxification, and finally look at things like improving your insulin response. So exercise definitely improves insulin sensitivity, 100%. Um, my part of my standard protocol that I use and that I take and uh, because of its other health promoting benefits is alpha lipoic acid. So I use alpha lipoic, alpha lipoic acid personally and I use it with a lot of patients as well. It's what we call an insulin mimetic. So it improves receptivity of insulin and it improves insulin levels. So can someone grab this at the health food store? Is this something... Is, yep. it, is it is it underneath like a acronym like ALA, ALA or something like ALA. that? Yep. And, yeah, and ALA would definitely be something that's readily available. Uh, there's a couple of companies that I really trust that do a really good job with it, um, but that's definitely something that you can you can take easily. Chromium picolinate's another one. Uh, just simple starting your day with oatmeal and cinnamon. Cinnamon uh, has been shown in diabetic studies to lower glucose and lower insulin. I eat. So much. There's cinnamon in my coffee right now. Every time I do a bulletproof, anything I do baking, I put cinnamon in everything. Mm-hmm. It's just so warming and yeah. And also signing up for Royally Fit's free banish the bloat challenge because it's all dairy, gluten, and refined sugar free, and that's going to make you anti-inflammatory. So make sure you head onto the show notes. Just a quick little plug there. <laughs> yeah, you got to get that <laughs> plug in there. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That's a lot of information. I know we could probably continue talking, but I know the, the listeners are probably like, oh, wow, like I need to digest that. Yeah, they definitely moment. need a pen and paper. Listen to this more than once. If you're driving or walking, yeah. go home, get your pen and paper, take notes. Yeah. And then also, how can people get in touch with you? Like, so if they want to do the next step and they feel like they're doing everything right, but nothing is changing and they've hit that like plateau, how do they connect with you? So one thing I'd like to finally explain is Again, we are a functional medicine clinic and we really focus on the functional medical model. So if patients are interested in applying a functional medicine approach, we have three locations. We have a clinic in Markham, clinic in Whitby, and a clinic in Ajax. So they can go to advancedmedicine.ca and get our information and then, or they can go to beyouthfulco.com uh, if they want the Ajax clinic, which is more of an anti-aging clinic. So it's a little bit different depending on what you're looking for. Um, But yeah, we'll really, we really focus on the model of functional medicine. We really look at these markers in detail, follow the research and personalize it for these individuals. Okay. And and do you do, like, can you do consults and help people that don't live nearby? Because we even have listeners like in the States or we have listeners in other parts of Canada or New Zealand or... Like if they wanted to get in touch with you, is there a way or would you just tell them to go on to like the functional medicine doctor website? They can, they can do either. Uh, we can definitely um, talk to them, direct them. If, it, if they need someone locally and they need that support structure, um, we can direct them to someone locally. And in some cases, we've um, actually quite a few cases where we've actually taken these patients on and they work with one of the members of our team and we're still a- able to direct them and guide them, and then they find someone local as well. Okay. So we act more like a, an overseer, and then they do some of the fine-tuning locally. Very like cool. a matchmaker. <laughs> Very okay. <cool>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, thank you so much for talking to us, because this is 
something obviously Ashley and I get asked a lot about. And I just, I think people listening are finally going to feel validated and not feel like they're a failure or that they've done anything wrong, that there, there's reasons why they're struggling. And it doesn't mean that they're not working hard enough or they're not eating healthy enough. So I'm sure a lot of people are just kind of feeling a bit of relief when listening to this, that they haven't done anything wrong and they shouldn't feel any sort of guilt or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I tell them you cannot be a hundred percent on board with these things all the time. So if you do a little bit of cheating, just embrace it. You're human. Yes. Enjoy a little bit. You can't be a robot on the tightrope all the time. And when you're not feel guilty. Yeah. No, like this information is meant to empower you, not instill like fear in you. Right. Right. So yeah, like this is something that we follow, let's say like 80, 20, like we still go out and have, have a lot of fun. Yeah. And have fun and have drinks and eat tacos and they're not dairy and gluten free. And I know some people think that we're like so strict and that like, they're like, Oh, I, I could never eat that way. And I'm like, it's not about that. But once you feel the shift in your body and in your mental state, you will be motivated to continue on this path. And then that will encourage you to only want to do it a little bit here and there and not feel guilty about it. Well, one of the things with Royally Fit Online, a lot of the girls say is, I can't believe how much more I eat now because they're eating whole clean foods that are sustaining them. And they're like, I don't ever feel hungry. I don't feel deprived. I didn't realize I'd be able to still have muffins and pizza and pasta and like all these delicious foods that we've just made cleaner versions of that aren't inflammatory. Yeah. And the fact that there's been some girls that haven't lost weight that have come to see you, Dr. Arsenault, like they, the only reason they stuck with us is because of the mental shift that they had had. Right. And like, thank goodness they had that coming from an anti-inflammatory diet and like the community, because if they haven't, then that's when they go down that road of like depression, depression, or I'm not enough, or this is never going to work. Screw it. And, but some of them hit that plateau. And then, so they just took it in their own hands. They're like, no, I know intuitively what I'm doing is right. So I just need to figure out what the hell else is wrong. And then that's when they come to you and then they figure that out and they get that genetic testing. So empowering and recognize it. Just don't give up. Keep searching. You deserve health and go find it. Yeah. Bam. Yeah, that's how you finish that. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you very much again for being a guest on our podcast. And let's uh, tell our listeners to don't forget to make today badass. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of That Badass Podcast. If you could do us a huge favor and head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, we would be so grateful because you have no idea how much that helps us grow our podcast. Yeah, and as an incentive and a little bonus, we're going to be doing a monthly giveaway and it's going to be kind of a mix of everything that we have to offer. So one month it could be Royally Fit Online, joining our community. It could be from the Badass Boutique or maybe even just some like free recipes and like a coaching call or something with us. We will figure it out month by month as we go. So yeah, please go over iTunes, podcast app, leave us a five-star review. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Spare Room Studios.